very costly mistake of paying attention to the wrong thing. While I was in school, I took a building construction class and loved it. But in that class during high school, my teacher was a Vietnam vet. He was a Marine that had served in Vietnam. And through, as he was teaching us about tools, and we're teenage boys, the whole room. And so you can only imagine how distracted that class was. But as he's going over the study of power saws and all these kinds of things, he told us the story of a fellow Marine who was distracted during instruction on weapons and mines and subsequently lost his life to one. And he taught us that tools which are meant to build could hurt or even kill us. And I have seen that on many a job site. The least distraction. I want to ask you to ask yourself this question this morning. What in the busyness of this world with all that's going on, whether to go to school, whether we're not going to school, are we A, are we B, are we taking vaccines, are we not taking vaccines, where's my mask, how much is gas going to be, what's the world going to look like? I want to ask you, what is distracting you? from going forward with Christ. What is it? What is that thing? You know, that, that thing. And right now, if you are prayerful about being in worship today, God just revealed that to you. I have all the confidence in the world. The Spirit just spoke into your spirit and says, this is your distraction. This is the distraction causing you to have wrecks in your life, costing you dearly. Today, we are breathing, which means there's hope. We can refocus on Him. I, I don't know about you, I've been driving down the road late at night, early in the morning, whatever, and get really, really, really tired. When we came back from Israel, uh, Brother Greg Bentley and I drove to the Atlanta airport, and so when we came back home, we got in my truck, paid at the, the long-term parking Got out, man, I was so excited to get home. I mean, it's my bed. It's home. It looks familiar. I loved Israel. Every single minute of it. But I was ready to get home. And so I was so excited. We come tearing down I-75. And about the time we got on I-16, I hadn't made the first exit till every bit of the last 35 hours of being awake. And the, it just left me. Every ounce of adrenaline, every ounce of excitement, everything left me. And my whole body began to shut down. And Greg was over, I said, you got to talk to me, brother. You got to talk me in on this one. And it was, it was the tiredest I've ever been driving. And we began to encourage one another. And we stopped, and we got coffee, and we did all those things. And it helped me refocus, get my mind, and I kept thinking, Home is just a little bit further. And I've just about got all the mile markers memorized so that I'll know exactly how far I am, whether it's exit 34 or 54. I can, I can figure out exactly how far it is uh, to the, uh, the 
Swainsboro exit to the Metter exit to the Claxton exit. I can figure all that out. And so I began to focus my mind to awake myself to know and stay focused so that I could get home. Today, I want to encourage you. This may be a little heavy, but heaviness is what we need sometimes to refocus. And I want us to look at moving forward through failing. We all fail the grace of God. If you think you don't, you're probably the one that's in the deepest in that failure. We break God's heart. We leave the fullness of His grace and mercy sometimes. And I'm not talking about being lost again if you're saved. But some of us are living in a false hope of thinking somehow our goodness has solidified a relationship with God. I'm not going to say anything else about that. I'm going to let the Word speak to you today and let God's Word answer that question. So look with me in verse 1 of chapter 32. You know the story. Now think about this. Do you remember what Moses told Pharaoh, the reason why he should let them go and why, what they were going to do? Did he say we're going to the promised land? No. Did he say we're going to beat all the Jebusites and the Hittites and we're going to have war with them? We're going to do some really cool stuff? No, what did he tell Pharaoh he was going, they were going to do? They were going to worship God. Now here they are on the cusp of the one thing that God set them out of bondage to do. And that is a real clear reminder to all of us today. Listen to me. God saved you not so you could live any way you want, justify any sin path you have desired. God saved you to worship Him. God saved you to lift up Jesus. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. God didn't call us to save people. God called us to teach, preach, and disciple. He would do the rest. He called us to fish, and He would cook and clean them. We must not... Let the things of this world distract us. He said in verse 32, as they now are on the cusp of this great time of worship, when the people saw that Moses, God has called Moses up into the mount, he's brought him in, he's called him into the tabernacle, he's put a pillar to separate him from everyone else. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down, delayed according to who? They didn't wear wristwatches. I don't imagine that they had smartphones or digital clocks on the dash of their wagons. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, now, now I want you to hear something, and this is a side note before we go any further. He said, the people gathered together. Young people especially, listen to me today. I know I'm an old preacher and I can be boring, but hear me, everybody today, especially all you young kids, all of our teenagers, everyone else. My father and my teachers growing up, 
taught me, and I had to learn the hard way. Y'all know where I'm going with this. The crowd is not, not only, not usually right, hardly ever is the group right. Just because it's a majority does not make it right. Being cool and being popular, I'm going to tell you, all that does not matter when you grow up and you've got rent to pay, when you've got a house payment and food you need to put on the table for your family, you could care less how popular you are as long as there's money to cover your bills in the bank. All the rah-rah, player of the game, all that stuff, uh, honor grad, whatever it is, it will not mean anything if your focus is not on the main thing. Once again, Warren Wiersbe said that all division is not bad and all unity is not good. They were all in unison. Hey, let's go talk to Moses or, or go talk to Aaron. And so the people came together and they said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. Gods, plural. Number one, you go wrong when you say make. You can't make a god. It's been proven since the beginning of time. God declared the very first thing. Matter of fact, the first tablet, all first four of the commandments deals with him being the only God, the jealous God, the God to be worshipped, the God whose name is above every name that should not be blasphemed or taken in vain. And yet, he said, make us, they said, make us gods. That shall go before us. For as for this Moses, like he was just an acquaintance, this guy Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. First of all, I want you to see today, sometimes we get into a predicament and we experience failure because we think that delays in the plans according to our time frame is an excuse to do whatever we want. Delays are not excuses. Well, I thought by this time I would be this and God would show me this and I would be able to do all these other things. Delays are not excuses. Just because they didn't think Moses was going to do whatever, listen, they knew in their heart they knew where Moses was. They were just impatient. Where is God through this election? Where is God in this world today? Exactly where he was before the election happened. Where's God in our churches? The same place he was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. 200 years ago. We read in church history of great awakenings. We read of revivals. My friends, he's the same God today. The problem is we've gathered up and we've told the world, hey, I don't know what's happened. I don't know where God is. I don't know where those, I've heard it so many times. Where are those great men? Adrian Rogers is gone and this one is gone and Criswell is gone and Billy Graham's gone. Where are those men? They're living and breathing among us that are still being faithful. Don't be distracted by delays. It may be tomorrow that God explodes the blessings in your life. Don't, don't quit the night before a breakthrough. 
Don't get distracted by these temporary issues. Listen, things here are temporary. Am I right? And it came to... That means it came and it went. Just like a vacation. Just like a cold. Just like whatever heartache. A job. Whatever it may be. Everything in this world. Everything. Is temporary. Except the presence of God in a believer. The Bible tells us. I've read the end of the book. All of these things shall pass away. The heavens and the earth will burn with a fervent heat and there'll be a new heaven and new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down. And guess what? Those who trusted in him will come with him. Don't get distracted by the delays in your life that are only temporary. We're making eternal decisions on temporary situations. Think about that now. Camp out right there. Husband who's contemplating leaving your wife. Wife contemplating leaving your husband. Teenagers contemplating diving off into a world of sin. You are making eternal decisions based on temporary situations. I didn't even write that down. But it's true. I've done it. I've done some of the most absolutely bone-headed decisions in the heat of the moment. And I've learned the older I get, when people, especially when people come, because as a pastor, you've got this big bullseye on it says, ask me something. And so... People come to me all the time and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And a lot of times it's baiting you. And so I've learned that when I get questions, even from people I know that are not baiting me, I treat every situation the same. Well, let me pray about that. Let me look at God's word. And then I'll get back with you. I don't feel under that pressure feeling like I've been able, he said be able to give an answer to every man that asketh the hope within you. He didn't say be able to give an answer for every hard thing that's written down in the Word of God at a moment's notice. Some of the times in our lives it's best to walk away and get on our face and seek God. And sometimes God's going to say, you're not the one to give that answer. Let me handle it. You see, not only should we not be distracted, but we should not be deceived. Now think about this. They weren't sure where Moses was, exactly what was going on. They wasn't sure when he was coming back. And so they said, well, we don't know that Moses that brought us out. We don't know what's happened to him. Let's make other gods. Listen to me. Unknown answers are not unanswered prayers. Chew on that. Unknown answers are not unanswered prayers. Sometimes we don't know because we're not willing to look. Sometimes it's not time yet for God to reveal his answer. But it's answered in eternity, amen? It's answered in eternity. God wants the best for you and I as his children. 
He wanted the best for them. He didn't want to bring them out of bondage just to wipe them off the face of the earth. And also, let me go on and mention, I'm not going to read those verses today, but there's a couple of places where Moses, number one, asked God to repent of his decision. And then it says, and Moses repented. Now you may have a version that changed that. That's not God for having to ask forgiveness. That's God simply changing direction. God doesn't ask forgiveness. God doesn't change his mind. God has a plan. God just simply changed the direction known to man. And there's no other word to describe it when the Bible was written. Don't be deceived. Listen, number one, Moses was with God. Sometimes we question people's motives and stuff. The older I get, listen, I'll have to wear these glasses and I bought these that keep sliding off my face. And my mama says, you need to do something. You're always pushing them glasses up when I watch you. But I got them because they're progressives. Because I got tired of everybody asking me, why is my glasses crooked? Because I can't read through glasses. I can't read those letters without my glasses. But I can't read the Bible through my glasses. So I'm an old man. These are progressives. So I can see out there up top, but I can't, I, I don't need anything. So it's just nothing at the bottom. And I can look down and I can see. Well, you know, sometimes in our life, the plans for us, we quoted this Wednesday night. I know the plans that I have for you. Now, who said that? Did Jeremiah say that or did God say that? God said that. God said, I know the plans. But that's not the first time he said it. Stacy gave me these baby feet. The real size of feet of a child that's in the womb through the sanctity of human life. I'm going to tell you something, my friends. There's a war for human life. I told y'all when they said we believe in science over fiction, what was coming. They believe in a globalistic, humanistic origin of species based on Darwinian evolution. And when they start, as we have for 50 years, killing unborn babies wholesale, they're going to be killing our senior adults right behind them. Because they say, who's God? And why is it his choice? My body, my choice. I'm going to tell you, you don't have a choice. You don't even have a choice whether to breathe or not. And too often we take that on our own self. God has a plan. Moses was with God. God had a plan. But people lose sight and they lose hope. I, listen, I love seeing all your faces. But if I take this off, it's just like one of those fake crowds they paint on the wall. It's just faceless bodies. I know where y'all sit, so still, if you're sticking your tongue out, I'll, I'll know it. God has a plan for your life, even though you may not see it. When David said, your word shall be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, he didn't say that it would light up the next three days of his journey. He said it was a lamp into my what? So he could see every step he took. We are to trust him literally for every single step.
I don't know about you, but that's challenging to me. I want to see at least through lunch. Why is it we're so worried about what God's going to do in there and we can't even figure out what we're going to have for lunch? Don't be distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't lose hope. But then second, delays not only are not excuses, self-dependence will bring disaster. You start depending on yourself, you're headed for a train wreck. He tells us in verse 23. For they said to me, oh, it's always somebody else's fault, isn't it? They said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and poof, out came a calf. Sound like any children you know? Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. Self-dependence will bring disaster. First of all, sinfulness brings shame. He says that right there. He said, not only is it shame, and we try to hide from it, but he said the world will see it. Church when you live a life that's not pleasing to God, don't think because your buddies embrace you in it, they use that as an excuse why they don't need God. Well, if that's the way they act and they go to church, why do I need to go to church? We act the same. Y'all hear me? Sinfulness brings shame. Your neighbor sees when your vehicle's still in the driveway during Sunday school. And during church, they know. Your family knows. And yet we beg and plead. You are the greatest example to your family that's unchurched. Spoken or unspoken. Sinfulness brings shame. They brought a shame. Even the Egyptians from the other side heard of what was going on. Listen, word still travels fast whether you've got the internet or not. Word spread, those, those enemies that they were going to have to fight said, look at them, they've already abandoned their God. I don't think I'd have done that. He brought them through the Red Sea and now they've left him. Sinfulness brings shame. Notice, first thing what happened, false gods. Make us gods. I want to ask you this. Do you have any golden calves? They may be in your study. They may be in your bedroom. They may be in your shed. They may be at hunt camp. They may be parked out there with your fishing poles in them. They may be on your vacation plans. They may be in your retirement plans. It may be in a relationship. Whatever it is, I want to ask you, do, I'm not assuming, but I'm asking you, do you have any golden calves? 
We said, well, God, I just feel like I've grown and, you know, I'm mature enough to handle some of this. God says, you're a child. Grown? Listen, in the Old Testament, I had guys that lived eight, nine hundred years and they didn't have it figured out. How are you going to have it figured out by 21? How are you going to have it figured out by 47? Abraham didn't have it figured out and he was 100 years old. Sarah was over 90 and she didn't have it figured out and God did it anyway. Sinfulness brings shame in our lives because of the false gods that we so easily turn to. My friends, if we vote, if we live, if we do anything for our pocketbook over God, then you know what your God is. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of it. It's the love of it. When you think you can't tithe, when you think you can't give sacrificially, he said, try me and see. Try him. Try him this week. Before you leave, if God is convicting you, you don't leave when we have the dismissal prayer. You sit quietly and privately alone, and you write the check, you open your wallet. I'm not talking about your ice cream money. I'm talking about what God is telling you. and Put it in an offering plate. People did that last year in the midst of a pandemic. And we put 20% of our budget in savings to move forward. That's a testimony to God and to God's people being faithful. That's not happening everywhere. But then it's false worship. Think about it. They brought, he, and Aaron was guilty. Sometimes as leaders, listen, Sunday school leaders, small group leaders, children, adult, youth, pastor, sometimes as leaders, we want to do whatever we can to pacify to encourage in the flesh people to be happy to the point that they won't get mad at us, they won't be upset with us, they'll be excited. And we have so filled up our time and, and, and our philosophies and, and our seeing of what church is that we think it's all about fun and games and hot dog suppers. I, you know me. I love, I love a good hot dog supper as good as anybody. And if they're serving pizza... I want some. That's just, it, it, listen, I'm so proud of myself for the last month. Becky's had me on a strict diet and I'm trying to behave. And I want that pizza on Wednesday night so bad I can't stand it. And I got to the point that I don't, I, don't, I just shut the door so I don't even smell it. And I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> My friends, False worship. They used items meant for true worship to build a calf. God said, go to all your friends in Egypt. Go to your neighbors, whatever. Get everything you can. Why? Because if you keep reading, you're fixing to get the blue and purple and scarlet and linen and sew this and a gold overlaid on this and acacia wood and rings on this and pomegranates and bells and all that. Well, guess what? All that was going to be provided through this. That's what it was meant for. 
God has blessed you. He's blessed you with a family. He's blessed you with a voice. He's blessed you with a talent. And even more than any of that, he's given you a supernatural gift if you're saved by the grace of God. God's called you to something. He didn't call you to be entertained. God called you to serve. And if you're not using it for him, you're using it for self. Or in not using it, you've cast it at the feet of a dead idol that does nothing. That which was meant for worship of holy God was used to build a false god. Self-dependence will bring disaster. Oh, by the way, when Moses come, when he got tore up, you know what he did with it? He ground it up, poured it into water, and they had to drink it. And some of us, you know what he says in 1 Corinthians 11 when he gives us the outline of the Lord's Supper? He said, the reason your prayer list is so long and the reason many people are dying is because you're taking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Read it for yourself. That's why we always try to have an invitation to come and do a time of soul searching. God, am I right before I do this? Because it's so sacred. It's, it's the, the body and blood of Jesus. It's symbolic of what Jesus did at Calvary. It's not the real body and blood. That, the Bible tells us, was offered once for all. Listen, sinfulness will bring death. He said, once again in verse 26, Moses saw them and he stood in the entrance of the camp and said whoever's on the Lord's side come to me and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him and he said to them thus saith the Lord God of Israel my friends it's not legalism when God says it let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother Every man is companion, and every man is neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now I want to go ahead and give you the small writing at the bottom. Nowhere in that context does it give believers the right or the direction for us to kill our fellow man through our own judgment. Now, I'm a firm believer in the death penalty. I believe there ought to be consequences for actions. If you vary from that, we can agree to disagree on that. But I believe there's a biblical mandate that if there is a human government, then there has to be consequences for breaking the laws of that human government, for family government, and for church government. Because if we don't, then it's anarchy and laws don't matter. That's the world we're living in today. But the truth is that sinfulness will bring death on its own. The Bible's very clear. The wages of sin is death, right? Right? First of all, it's relational death. Broken fellowship with God and his people. You don't know why we have a thousand on church roll? And there's never been a thousand in this building in the last nine years. Not at one time. And they sure weren't all church members, the largest number we've had. 
Where are they all at? Well, yes, some moved off. Well, why haven't they joined another church and became faithful there? It's because we get distracted and we die in our relational focus because we allow sin to slip into our life. We enter into the portal. You know, I'm a college football fan, and some of us were talking about this the other day, but several years ago, a very, 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 very good athlete chose to, because he was coming out as such a high draft pick, he told his team, his brothers, his coach, everybody there, he said, I'm not going to play in a bowl game. I'm going to sit it out so that I may not get hurt. So I'll do good in the other. He sold them all out for a little bit of money. I don't care what you say, that's what he did. I don't care, you can't convince me any different. And now it's become even more. And now they have a transfer portal. And there's some that are justified. But oh, it's all about shopping. It's a free market. It's not about the fact that that school is paying for four years of your college education. And by the way, if it's a public institution, you're paying for it. No And I know it brings in a lot of money, but when they're paying a college football coach $9 million, this world's jacked up. It's a relational death where we break off from friends because we enter our own little transfer portal so we can be whatever we want to be, however we want to be. And it goes into this carousel. Well, I didn't like the way the music was over there, and I didn't like this. And it was too dark, and it was too loud, and it was too cold, and it was too this. And they go to the next church down the street, and that don't fit them. So they go to the next one. And about every 18 months, they move around until they get tired of moving, and then they just stay at home. And that's the world we're living in today. It's the cancel culture, and Christians are canceling God because of church. My friends, if there's somebody in church somewhere that made somebody mad, and so they didn't come back to church, I know one thing, the person, whoever is accused of making them mad that's still in church, and the other one isn't, the one in church is closer to God than the one sitting at home. Because the Bible's very clear that we're not to forsake ourselves of the assembling together. It's relational, but it's emotional and mental. No wonder there's so much anguish uh, anguish in the world. It's the anguish of worldly fatigue. Our minds and our emotions are just tired. Man, we're just tired. I've told people lately, my spirit's tired. Just tired. But sometimes we bring that on ourselves because we're not focused on the Lord. Elijah was emotionally and physically wrung out. His mind, he couldn't figure out any way of escape. And here's what's so wild about it. This is the way Satan distracts us. Elijah did not realize that Jezebel was more afraid of him than he was of her. Right? It's like, Never ever walking back out in your yard because there may be a pit of rattlesnakes right outside. It's like saying, I I, I can't ever get on an airplane because they all crash. I'm going to tell you something. You're a lot safer in an airplane than you are in a car. Especially between Pooler and Savannah on I-16. 
Well, I don't want to go overseas. You're safer just about anywhere overseas than you are in the south side of Savannah. And Statesboro's not much better. My friends, emotional and, and mental anguish, it's because of the worldly fatigue. We believe everything we read. We get snookered in, and it's negative, 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 negative. And you, people say, what do you think about this thing that's going on with Reddit and GameStop and all this stock and Robin Hood? I say, I don't have a clue. When you're broke, you ain't got to worry about that. I know what I got in my pocket. I can run down here at Dairy Queen. I can get me a cheeseburger and whatever happened at Walmart won't affect that one bit. I got enough lures right now. I can call Steve and say, hey, take me fishing. We'll get some fish and we'll cook them out. I got enough shotgun shells. I can shoot something and eat it. The truth is that mentally we're wore out because we're basing it on a temporary fix. Somebody gets up and says, I promise you this. Read my lips. What if gas does go to four or five dollars a gallon? God's still going to be in his throne. What if they start trying to tax our guns? God will still be on his throne. And I'll still have my guns. It brings physical death. This is death by degrees. Sometimes it's slowly. Sometimes it's really obvious and it's sudden. That sin brings death. The Bible says there's a sin unto death. And we should not pray for it. In other words, we don't need to know all that. We just need to know there's a danger out there when you sin. Are you toying with God? God will not have a carrot dangled in front of his face. Sin will kill you. And if you think you're getting away with it, you may live to be 90 years old, but you're going to die because of sin. And you can either die in the center of God's will or you can die in a broken relationship. Sinfulness will bring death. And then spiritual, and this is the worst. Because you see, this is eternal separation from God. If you don't know Jesus, I want to make something very clear biblically. Number one, if you have never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ, the holy God in the flesh, that died on the cross and shed his blood and was buried in a tomb and risen to the newness of life. If you have never come before him, broken, contrite, and in repentance and said, I am lost and without hope. Father, forgive me of my sin and save me. If you've never done that, I don't care how good you are. I don't care how humble you are. I don't care that you're the best southern Georgia girl, Georgia boy, handsome, smart, best child, best parent, best cooking grandma in the world. You're going to die and go to hell. I do not say that with pride. I say that as a fact because too many people think that somehow everybody goes to heaven and get angel wings. Number one, everybody don't go and no Christian gets angel wings. Please, for the love of everything sacred, God saved us through Jesus Christ. We are not created as angels. There is false, 
false religions that says that as we are, God once was, and as we are, or, or as God is, we one day will be. That we will be gods. We're not going to be gods either. The Bible says we'll be known even as we are known. If Jesus did that and came in the flesh of a human being, why would we become angels? But the big question is, are you going or not? And then finally, surrender to the unfailing God. I know this has been heavy. I know it's been hard because all of us have golden calves from some time or another. Some of us got a ranch. We got them named with ear tags. We branded them and said, that's my golden calf. You're not going to touch it. It's time to get the grinder out. There's hope. Look in verse 26 again. He said, very clearly, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And then in verse 29, then Moses said, consecrate yourself today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing. A blessing this day? This day! He said he would bless you this day. In the, in the greatest failure of turning to false gods and even they didn't turn to someone else's. They made their own. It was a lot of effort for them to be godless. He said, if you'll turn today, There'll be a blessing. There will be a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now I want you to notice something. You see, we are to surrender to the unfailing God, number one, because he is God. He is God. He is the God who created the universe. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is above all things. He is immutable. He is transcendent. He is imminent. But I want to give you three very quick attributes of who God is. Number one, God is judgment because he is holy. God, listen, if God doesn't judge our sin and judge America today, then he's got to repent for everything he's judged before. And God don't have to do that. God will judge sin because he's holy. There is no sin in him. I, man, I, I was watching something on the History Channel or Smithsonian Channel the other day. And I finished watching whatever I was watching. And all of a sudden the next show come up talking about how Jesus probably had a wife. And it took me about seven seconds to nix that. God is holy. They want to try to make him as man created with man's hands to look and sound. Listen, he was 100% flesh, but make no mistake about it, he was born of a virgin, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Judgment. God's going to judge sin. God's going to judge this world. God's going to judge you. The choice is, is he going to judge you directly or through Jesus Christ? And then chastisement. Why? Because all through scripture we see that those that he corrects, those that he chastises, he does what? And John, 1 John says God is God doesn't just love. 
God's not loving. God is love. The very essence, any love you have. You know, when you look, the first time you ever look at your child when it's born and you think, I never thought I could love someone so much. Or your spouse. Or grandchildren. Understand something. God loves us with an everlasting love. And all that love you have is part and parcel of the fullness of who he is as love. And as bad as it may hurt, chastisement is always motivated out of love. When you correct your children, if it's done the wrong way, that's what I always understood. There's a difference in beating and whooping. City people call it a whipping. There's a difference in beating and a whooping. A beating's out of anger and a whipping's out of love. And you'll never convince me any different. Because God's very clear that if we do not use the right, we do not correct our children, he said not only do you not love them, you hate them. If we care and he does care about us, he will correct us. And then salvation because he is merciful. Look at chapter 34, verse 6. Man, this knocked me off my feet when I read this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God will not be mocked. You see, God is a merciful God. You know what mercy is? It's favor to the invalid, to the weaker. It is deference to the weaker vessel. And God cares about us. But then, not only do we surrender to an unfailing God because He's God, but because you're not. I'm not. I've had people come, now preacher, I'm just going to tell you now, we're going to miss. I said, I ain't your priest, don't tell me. Tell him. I'm sorry for that language. Don't tell me, tell him. You don't answer to me, you answer to him. I appreciate the respect, but if you had real respect, you wouldn't do it to start with. Tell him! My friends, we're not God. I know for some of you that's startling, possibly. But you see, failure needs forgiveness. You can't just ignore it. God doesn't ignore it. He said, hey, I'm merciful, but I judge iniquity. He has to because he's holy. Failure needs forgiveness. And forgiveness has a price. You know, if you grew up with siblings and you tell me y'all never fought, you need to be the first one here and pray and ask the Lord to forgive you. But if you did, there's somewhere along the line that some one of your parents, somebody, made you hug it out. Now hug them and tell them you love them. Can't you just beat me? 
I mean, I will take three to No, please, God, no. No, I don't want to hug him. You ain't going to get up until you look him in the eye, hug him, and tell him you love him. Now, sometimes it's like this. Love But the truth is, forgiveness has a price. He said in verse 31, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin. And they made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Paul said it kind of the same way. He said, Lord, if I could, I would give my life for them. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Listen, young people, mom and daddy, they pray for you every night, but they're not going to be able to fix it for you. You will not get into heaven because mama prayed. Because daddy was a good man. Moses tried and he said, whoever sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. You see, there must be a purposeful offering. It can't be harem scaring and just kind of think you're going to tip God and get him off your back. It's got to be purposeful of surrendering. Don't pray amiss. Tell God the sin. God already knows it. Confess it. Get it right. In the Old Testament, it was animals, bulls and goats, a paschal lamb, a scapegoat. It was turtle doves. In the New Testament, it was the Lamb of God. Once for all mankind. Now, Romans 12 says, it's a living sacrifice as believers. Not to be saved, but because we are saved when we sin, we have that advocate with the Father. We come and offer our bodies a living sacrifice unto Him. And then it's prayerful repentance. See, Moses interceded, and we ought to be praying for our country. We ought to be praying for our neighbors. We need to be praying for the lostness. But notice what he tells them. He said very clearly in this one very strong word. In verse 29, Moses said, consecrate yourselves. Now this, this is the one that blew me away through this whole study. So stay with me for just a minute. The word consecrate here doesn't mean just to be set apart and to be different. It literally in this context comes from two Hebrew words, which means, number one, to empty something, and the other word means to fill. Completely opposite. Not in repentance, it isn't. It is an Old Testament picture of being set apart by emptying ourselves of our own will, of our own desires, of the flesh, and being filled with the Spirit of God that we may be surrendered unto Him. It's prayerful repentance. And then painful remembrance. As they come to the instruments, I want you to hear this verse. Verse 35. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Now 
Do you believe that when you confess your sins, the Lord forgives it? Do you believe He forgets it? Forgive and forget? I, I do. I believe that He does. But I believe because of our temporary mind, He allows us to remember where we come from so that we don't go back. And some of those memories are painful. I'll tell you a really, really quick story, and it wasn't a sin. I was already out of high school. Becky was a senior, and I was taking her to her senior prom. And I wanted to be a big dog. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it great because the prom was around her birthday, and I bought her a nice golden necklace. And we did some other stuff, and I was taking her to one of the most exclusive restaurants at the, uh, that pink marble mansion up in uh, Tate, Georgia. And, I mean, just really cool. And I got a limousine by myself. Got the limousine. Man, we're excited. We're out in the yard. Mom and Dad, we taking pictures. I look, and the limousine's five minutes late. And I look, and it's 30 minutes late. And I look, and it's an hour, and it's an hour and a half. And it's two hours late. And I am absolutely, and Becky's talking me off the ledge. She said, it don't matter. Let's just go. By the time he pulled up. And she kept me from losing my ordination. She missed her senior walk that night because of that and I bring it up here today because don't ever bring it up to me again and I'm not joking it hurts my heart it hurts she graduated that was in the spring of 86 it still hurts my heart my mother had stuff that happened when we were young she said don't ever bring it up y'all know what I'm talking about there's things in your past that's in your mind but you don't ever want to hear, hear it said there's things back there but it ought to be motivation to be better to trust the Lord more. It's a painful remembrance. God is on His throne. We're not still there. It came to pass. Let us move forward through the failing and we take it one step at a time. Today, you know what He says in the very first verse, chapter 23? Depart. Depart where you're at right now. Depart the languishing misery the mental anguish, the emotional destruction, the dying by degrees of looking at everything else but God and come to Him today. Consecrate yourself. Give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Don't put it off. Please, I beg you as Moses, beg God, pray, oh God, that people will see you today. Stand and come to Him. Come to Jesus right now.